As you know, we're going through the, the book of uh, the books of the Bible through the Old Testament, and we're taking big swaths of Scripture at one time. And so this is kind of a new thing for, for many of us. Uh, we are now in the book of Kings, and just like we saw in the book, uh, the books before this of Samuel, First and Second Samuel, these these are really one scroll or two scrolls, one story. You have the book of Samuel, which is in first and second, but it's one big story. And now we have Kings, which is because it's so long, we now have it as two books, first and second Kings. So my focus with you uh, today will be to focus to talk about Kings and mainly spend time in the first half in the in first Kings. If you remember, the lead up to the time of the kings uh, is the book of Samuel, and right before that is the book of Judges. And this is the, the big significant difference, the big the tide change from the book, uh, uh, of, the book of uh, Judges to the book of 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings. There is this transition where we move from a time of Judges to a time of Kings, and the time you'll remember the, the phrase that we hear over and over uh, in the book of Judges is this phrase that that, pe- that the men would do what was right in their own minds, and it was evil. <laughs> and so they look forward to a time of a king, and the reason they look forward to the time of a king is because our hearts are naturally evil; they go their own direction. We aren't good at self-governance. Amen. We're not good at self-governance. We fail all the time, and we can become selfish and introspective and only care for what is ours. And that is what the book of Judges was all about. And God rescued that from from them, but there was a hope for something better, that there would be one who would help them with this governance, that there would be a king. And and the belief would be that if you had a king, you, you could be better governed, you could have justice, you could have community, and you could have protection from, this was a big deal, you can have protection from all of them out there who also have no self-governance and would take your rights and take, take your possessions and take your life even. And so there was a hope in that there would be kings. And the king would come and unite the people and they'd be, be victorious. And you'd even help with the, your own self-governance and the governance of your neighbor so that there would be justice. So the advent of Saul and then King David was was hopeful. And we see the reign of King David was a a help to the people. Even though David fell along the way, some of the the things they had hoped for in the book of Judges had come true in the life of David. But as you will see, if you've been following along with us in the Bible Project online, uh, or you have read through the book of Kings, you'll find it is a disaster. That when we, are, when we have someone else govern us, uh, it's not much better than us governing ourselves. For our country, which we would consider... Uh, having one of the best forms, if not the best form of government that ever has been. Uh, A lady asked Benjamin Franklin as he came out of the Constitutional Convention, she said, what have you given us, Mr. Franklin? And his response was, a republic. A republic, madam, if you can keep it. And that's what we have. A republic, if, what? We can keep it. As we look at at our own story, 
in these days, you wonder, can we keep it? The story of kings, we had, we had Saul, we had David, and then there's this covenant with David that his kingdom will reign forever. There will always be one in the line of King David. So we see he has a son named Solomon. And Solomon, he starts out so good as he offers worship. And he is going to fulfill the, the hope that David had of not just making Jerusalem the, the political capital, but making it the spiritual capital of the nation. And so he has been given permission by God to build a temple and build a temple so the Ark of the Covenant will have a place to rest in the central place of the life of the children of Israel, God's people. And God has given him the authority with certain stipulations as to what it's going to look like. Now, it is always a challenge to think about having uh, a, a place uh, for God's presence to be, because the place can never live up to the glory of God, right? So that's why God would go around in a, temp, in, in a tent, because the tent is nothing, right? But it was an idea that there's nothing that can hold the presence of God, and that becomes the problem with the temple. And so we see that he builds the temple, and things seem to be going well. He makes alliances. There's peace on all sides. But it doesn't take long before he starts in the wrong direction. And his son is in the wrong direction. And the nation is divided into two nations. A southern kingdom and a northern kingdom. And as first kings follows mainly the kings of the northern kingdom. We see that there's king after king. And just like we remember in the book of, uh, of Judges. Every next leader seems to be worse than the one before. Until finally the kingdom is taken away from the northern, from the northern people. And they are taken into exile. Exile, they become zero for 19 in good kings. All bad. There's coups and assassinations, abuse of power, lawlessness until finally Israel itself, the northern kingdom, is no more. Our theme for today is when kings and kingdoms fall, God reigns and his kingdom reigns forever. The first part of the story I want you to see about is 1 Kings chapter 8. And it is Solomon building the temple. God has given him the specific instructions on how to build the temple. I think we have, uh, I remember back to the, the building of our country and its capital. I think we have some uh, picture up here. Uh, has anyone been to the state capital before? Yeah? All right. Raise your hand in uh, Facebook land. Okay, you too. Okay, great. Thank you. Uh, yeah, so pretty awesome. I think this may have been Photoshopped because it looks really awesome. But uh, this was a beautiful, a beautiful James Ferrone must have taken these pictures. Um, but that's a lot of grandeur, isn't it? That is pretty awesome. The original Capitol building was not this big. Uh, it was expanded to make to, uh, to be this large because Congress increased, because the nation increased, and so it became bigger and bigger. So this is not the original, but it is a pretty awesome place. And, and you can see, uh, as you see this, the dome, you see kind of a, a couple layers down, there are these uh, 
depictions of different stories in American history. That's pretty cool. And then finally, as you would look around on the floor, uh, the floor of the Capitol, you would see these great statues and you would see huge paintings of historical events. And that's what you would get in the Capitol. And it is, it is an overwhelming, awesome, grand, powerful, uh, you feel like I am in the capital of something. Like this is significant, a significant place that has significant memories, a significant history. But this is not what the temple was. Although it resided in the capital, Jerusalem, and although it was the capital of the spiritual life of the children of Israel, it didn't look quite like this. In fact, the instructions were to be something different. Uh, let me uh, remi uh, remind you of our, our little history with the, the uh, U.S. Capitol, that in, on September 18th, 1793, the inauguration of this Capitol was a, a dropping of the cornerstone. George Washington came across from the Potomac River with his troops, and he gathered with others, and they marched a mile and a half from the Potomac uh, to the grounds in which the Capitol would be built. And there they had a great celebration. There was instruments and singing and dancing. And afterwards they had a barbecue. Isn't that awesome? Like, that's not even Texas. Like, it's like D.C. But... And so they had this big barbecue and there's a great celebration of the occasion. But when the Ark of the Covenant came, when the Ark of the Covenant came, there, there was great celebration. It says here that then the priest brought the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to its place in the inner sanctuary of the house, in the most holy place, underneath the wings of the cherubim. The cherubim. You see, God had said the construction of the temple should look like this. He gave the dimensions. It was a tall building. And inside was to be all gold. And in this gold, there was to be inlaid in it three different designs that would be replicated throughout. And these are the three designs. There would be uh, uh, en engraved pictures of cherubim, engraved pictures of palm trees, and engraved pictures of a, flowering, a blossoming flower. Now, that's kind of peculiar, isn't it? Now, why, why would that be the artwork that's throughout the temple? But when we look at the Capitol, artwork plays a predominant theme, doesn't it? I mean, there are things that are beautiful. There are things that are historic. They remind us of the history, how we got there. All those things are, are very self-evident. But in the temple, you have these three different replicated pictures throughout. You have this idea of the cherubim. And not only are they impressed in the walls, but at the front of the temple, there are, in the Holy of Holies, there are two cherubim that are, that are around the Ark of the Covenant. And they're huge. They're these winged creatures, mythical creatures that we, we see that are, are in the, the gospel stories in the, in, the, in the book of Genesis. We see these cherubim who are, have flaming swords, right, that protect the, the tree of life from, from all who would come that protects the, the Garden of Eden. These are 
powerful, glorious. We see them in Isaiah where they are a part of the seraphim and the cherubim that are worshiping. These are created beings meant for worship and they are glorious and powerful and majestic and they find themselves all throughout this holy temple. A remembrance that, that we worship a God who is a spiritual being and glorious. And that his creation, the things that he creates, are for the worship of him. And here you have these other earthly kinds of creatures that are present there as a reminder. And then you have the, the, the palm trees, which are the largest kind of plant in that part of the world. And it's a, it's a reminder of God's creation and the grandeur of his creation. Then you have these flowering, uh, uh, they're probably lilies, and to remind us of God's life and beauty. And so this, this is the kind of artwork that they are entering into, a remembrance of who God is. The capital has its own remembrance of who we are as a nation, a remembrance of freedom and fighting and, and treaties and, and, and certain great characters. But that's not what the temple is about. The temple is about one character, and that is the God who reigns supreme. Kings come and kings go. Kingdoms come and kingdoms fall. But our God reigns forever and ever. Verse 10, and when the priest came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord so the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. When the Spirit of God then comes and, and rests in that place, the people can't even be inside the building anymore because of his glory. Solomon's response to this is that he uh, dedicates 22,000 oxen. He, he sacrifices 22,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep. You want to talk about a barbecue? It was glorious. I want you to see this, though, that as we watch these kings, we're going to see them fall again and again and again. And we have to be careful to look within the story and see there is another king that is present and there is another kingdom that is present. Look with me at 1 Kings chapter 9. As the temple is being inaugurated, this, this kingdom of Solomon is going to begin. God gives him specific instructions. And the Lord said to him, I've heard your prayer and your plea which you have made before me. I have consecrated this house that you have built, temple, by putting my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. And as for you, Solomon, if you will walk before me as David your father walked, with integrity of heart and uprightness, doing according to all that I've commanded you, and keeping my statutes and my rules, then I will establish a royal throne over Israel forever, as I promised David your father, saying, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. But if you turn aside from following me, you or your children, 
And do not keep my commandments and my statutes that I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them. Then I will cut off Israel from the land that I've given them. And the house that I have consecrated for my name, I will cast out of my sight. And Israel will become a proverb and a byword among all peoples. And this house will become a heap of ruins. Everyone passing by it will be astonished and will hiss. And they will say, why has the Lord done this to this land and to this house? And they will say, because they abandoned the Lord their God who brought their fathers out of the land of Egypt and laid hold on other gods and worshipped them and served them. Therefore, the Lord God has brought all this disaster on them. You see, Solomon would hear those words, but he would not follow them. It doesn't take long before Solomon begins to make treaties with the nations and marry other wives. And as he does that, he just doesn't take the wife, but he takes their gods. And he begins to build places of worship for these other gods. He goes against the statutes. I mean, Solomon, who is so wise, but he acts like the fool. And so the kingdom is going to be ripped from him because his son then is going to, once he becomes the new ruler, the kingdom is divided into north and south. And the northern kingdom is going to go, as we said, 0 for 19 with kings until they're finally carried away. Israel is no longer going to exist as it existed before. But there's another kingdom. There's another kingdom. And how does God prepare this kingdom? He doesn't come through kings, but he comes through Elijah and other prophets. The question could be asked of Solomon, what kind of government do you, are you going to give us? A kingship, a kingdom. If I can keep it, he would say, but Solomon can't keep it. But God will continue to reign. He sends his prophets as heralds to tell this story. One of the first things we hear is in 1 Kings chapter 18, Elijah is uh, prophesying for God and there's an evil king named Ahab and his even more uh, uh, terrible wife whose name is Jezebel. And she has really encouraged the worship of Abel and Asherah and so much so that the, the, num the number of the prophets of Baal and Asherah far outnumber the prophets of God. In fact, we just really hear this one prophet, Elijah. And Elijah calls for a showdown. I tell you, this is really much like Texas, this whole story. He calls for a showdown where the prophets of, uh, uh, the prophet of God against the prophets of Jezebel. So the people may choose between one side or the next. And many of you know how this story goes. The prophets of Baal get to go first, and the prophets of Asherah, and they sing to their God, and they dance, and they, and they cry out in earnest. They even begin to beat themselves so they might have some kind of reaction from their God. But nothing, their God is silent, to which Elijah says, well, maybe he's in the bathroom. And then Elijah steps up to the plate and it's his turn to show whether his God is alive and powerful. And God tells him to dig a trench around a, a, an altar and place a bull upon the altar and pour water on top of the bull and on top of the altar until it flows out and fills all around. So there's no way you can think that it accidentally caught on fire. 
And he begins just to utter the, utter the first word of his prayer and God calls down fire from heaven and burns it all up. Why? Because our God is victorious. Our God is alive. He is the King of kings and he's the Lord of lords. The cherubim serve at his feet. And although the kingdom is falling apart, the king is still reigning. He has power over all the, the present powers of the day, whether they be political or whether they be spiritual. In the very next chapter, Elijah, feeling very alone, he, he leaves that place and he, he is running away because the present kingdom has said, we're coming after you. Jezebel says, he, he is not going to make it till tomorrow. We're going to come after him. And so she sends the troops after him to find him and he hides and he begins to feel very alone. Because the kingdom around him seems against him, seems to be the opposition to have more power. Although he just saw fire come from heaven. And he becomes overwhelmed. In church, we can be like that too, can't we? Today you look around and you think, oh my. It seems like this kingdom is falling apart. Is there any hope? We can feel very alone. Is it just us? Who care about the things of God? It's kind of a, a proud statement, isn't it? But that's what Elijah was saying. I think it's just me. It's just me, God. You're leaving me out here by myself. I feel so alone. I feel disconnected. I'm isolated. Lord God. And what does God do? He's very kind and generous with him. He sends ravens to take care of him, to bring him food. I don't know if I want to eat food from a raven, but I guess I'm really hungry. And gave him bread to eat. And he cared for Elijah. And then he took him up on a mountain. And God sent a great wind through the valley. And then he shook the very foundations of the earth. And then he sent this great fire that blazed through the valley. But he couldn't hear God until God came, chapter 19, in a small voice. He says, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? See, God's, God's voice is powerful and glorious, but also can be very quiet. And his words endure forever. This is... This is a great joy to us. These words endure forever. They are solid. This is not blow you away kind of thing. But this is solid and glorious and lets us know the very words of our God. What are you doing here, Elijah? Church, it's a great question for us. Where you are, what are you doing here? Are you fretting? Afraid? Isolated? Discombobulated? I want to tell you there, we serve a great God. We serve a God who is powerful and overall and his kingdom endures forever. God goes on to say in verse 18, 
Yet I, I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that I have not bowed to, to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. He says, God is telling him, you aren't alone. You may feel alone, and it doesn't matter if you are alone because God is with you, but you aren't alone. There are others. This kingdom is a kingdom that is continuing and a kingdom that endures. It is a kingdom that endures. It doesn't endure. Hear me. It doesn't endure because the participants in the kingdom are really good. It endures because God is very good. And his kingdom will endure even with people like us. Amen. So as you're discouraged and you're limping along, don't worry. God is going to win the day and he's going to take you with him. We need that word. I don't know about you, but I feel like I'm limping right now. But God is going to win the day. The remnant endures forever. And then, then one of the final stories that I want to share with you is right after this, one of the kings is going against uh, the Armenians, our, our Aramean, sorry, the Arameans. And the Arameans are uh, fighting against them. And you would think the end of this story would be Israel would be taught a lesson. This king would be taught a lesson because he isn't a faithful king. He's one of the, uh, the uh, kings from the northern kingdom. So it's not going to end well, but God wins the day. And the reason he w wins the day in verse 28 says this, And a man of God came near and said to the king of Israel, Thus says the Lord, because the Syrians have said, the Arameans have said this, The Lord is a God of the hills, but he is not a God of the valleys. Therefore, I will give all this great multitude into your hand, and you shall know that I am the Lord. You see, God is going to win the day for Israel, even though they have a terrible king who's not doing what's right, because God is going to protect his name. He is a God of the, the valleys, and he's the God of the mountains. He's the God of Brenham, Texas, and he's the God of Kenya. He's a God overall, over all people. This is his kingdom. His kingdom is not limited, but it will stand forever and everywhere. Uh, we serve a God who is the beginning and the end. We serve a God who is powerful, but his powers are not conferred by vote or taken by force, but they are innate in him. It is who he is. His word endures forever. He guides the hearts of kings. And then, and then he sent his son to inaugurate a new kingdom, kingdom that we walk in today. A kingdom that is known for its reconciliation to God and its reconciliation to men. People of God, as we watch the news again this week, we have to wonder about our own republic. Can we keep it? I want to tell you, we probably can't. Kingdoms come and kingdoms go. There will be a day that either this kingdom falls or Jesus will come back and take us home. But there is a kingdom. Are you looking for it? There is a king. Are you listening for him? For our citizenship is in. We are called to be ambassadors of that kingdom. So do not fret. Do not worry. But work, establish the kingdom, be reconciled to God, be reconciled to each other, for it is the work of the kingdom, his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven.
Let's pray. Lord God, we uh, love you. We celebrate the King. We can't wait to see a temple again in heaven. We can't wait to be in your presence. But Lord, today we, uh, we ask that you give us new eyes to see a kingdom that, uh, that doesn't have a capital here on earth. Lord, we thank you that you are with us and you've called us to a better kingdom in a better way and a king who is forever. So we hold on to you these days. Lord, that we, uh, we don't cower. We stand up for what is truth and what is right and what is good. We look to you, Lord, for um, our identity. Lord, help us to walk and be faithful to this glorious kingdom of yours. We bless the name of our Lord, and in his name we pray. Amen.